stand and grab your Bibles this morning, if you don't mind, and we'll jump in here and see what the Lord has to say today. I was, uh, when uh, Karen and I were on our way to Tennessee, uh, uh, we left last Saturday so we could be there by Sunday. We had Sunday morning services and Monday services all day and all night through the, we had worship that night as well, so we were on our travels there. God began to speak to me uh, prophetically about a word uh, that he just dropped in my heart, and and part of it, I didn't share what I'm going to share with you today, but I shared part of it there in Tennessee with those pastors and leaders who had gathered. But on the way home uh, from Tennessee, uh, God just began to deal with me about something prophetically I believe he wants to say over this house and over your life. So I want us to go to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42. And I just want to read a couple familiar verses of Scripture there. Isaiah 42, verse number 8. Isaiah 42, verse number 8. And he says, And I am the Lord, and that is my name. And I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images, or literally means idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Somebody shout new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. He said, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing praises or sing praise from the end of the earth. I want you to notice there in verse number nine, he says, I declare new things before they spring forth. Somebody shout spring forth. That word spring forth literally, it literally in the, in the Hebrew definition of it, it literally means a shift in time. Something is shifting before it springs forth, before it shifts in time. I've already proclaimed it to you. It literally means that word spring forth. It literally means to rise up because something is shifting. Come on, look at somebody around you. Just tell them something is shifting over your life. Now, just tell them something is shifting over your life. Now, look with me in Isaiah, same, cha- uh, same, same book, chapter 54. And I want to release this over your life today. And we're going to see what the Lord has to say. Isaiah 54, verse number 1. It says, shout for joy, O you barren one. You who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Verse number two, it says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings and spare not. Somebody shout, spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. One translation says you will break out to the left and to the right, and your descendants will possess the nations, and you will resettle the desolate cities. Notice he said spare not. It literally means do not be in reserve. Do not hold back anything but give it everything you got. And what God was saying to them was he never told them how far to stretch out the curtains or lengthen the cords because however far you stretch them out, that's up to you. But what God was saying, however far you stretch out the curtains 
and lengthen your cords. However far you're willing to be stretched, that's what I'll feel. That's what I'll do in your life. In other words, this entire passage is dealing with increase and expansion. So I titled this message this morning, I just titled it, A Radical Shift. It's a radical shift. I need you to push on about three people as good as you can and tell them, don't miss this shift. Come on, tell them, don't miss the shift. Come on, I need some Holy Ghost prophetic people. Push on them real good and tell them, don't miss the shift. It's a radical shift over your life. Come on, how many can stand some increase over your life? How many could just expand a little bit better? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, this morning, I thank you for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do in this place today. Lord, I thank you. Holy Spirit, you're the preacher, you're the teacher, you're the revealer, you're the communicator, you're the revelator of your truth, of your word today. Thank you for what you're going to do in the hearts of men and women, those that have gathered in this building, those that are listening by Facebook, those that are listening by radio. We thank you today, Lord, for the empowering of the Holy Spirit into all of our lives. And we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise for it now. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen Amen and amen. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. Hallelujah. In our text today, it comes to us in many different forms. But the way I'm using it today, it speaks to us metaphorically about Israel during her days of captivity in Babylon. It's speaking to us about her days of being in adversity when they were living as exiles in Babylon. But it also speaks to us today, and it comes to us as a prophetic picture of what God desires to do for us and through us through the power of restoration. It speaks to us about the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus coming into the earth during this time to redeem mankind and to redeem fallen man. It speaks to us about the power of restoration, and it speaks to us about the power of redemption. The overall idea concerning this particular prophecy is that the current boundaries or the current borders of this nation that was living in captivity would be enlarged in order to accommodate the impending harvest that God was about to bring into their life. In other words, God was preparing them for what he had prepared them for. God was preparing them for increase. And God was going to use the capacity and the potential that was within them to bring increase to an entire nation. So this prophecy speaks to us metaphorically how God wants to bring increase over our lives so that we don't live in places of limitation. So we don't live in places where these superimposed boundaries that the enemy tries to put on us begins to limit our life. So this message to the Israelites, this prophecy from Isaiah, is preparation for what is about to happen. Come on, look at somebody next to you and tell them something good is about to happen over your life. I want to show you some things here in just a moment. The uniqueness of this particular prophecy here in this particular time period, in this era of history, the uniqueness of this prophecy is that Jerusalem here is compared to a barren woman. 
meaning that she is unfruitful. She's not able to reproduce. It speaks to us about lack. It speaks to us about a deficiency or shame. It literally speaks to us about a season of disappointment. And and it's not that Israel didn't want to be fruitful. It was the fact that she couldn't be fruitful because she was barren. Now, we know in Scripture, just track with me for a moment. Let me lay some foundation. We know in Scripture that the church often, many times, is referred to in a feminine sense. The church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5.27 says, this will be on the screen, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy and without blemish. In other words, that means Jesus is not coming back for an ugly old bride. (laughs) Jesus is not coming back for a broke-down church. Jesus is not coming back for a broke-down, ugly, can't-barely-get-through-the-day kind of bride. He's coming back for a glorious bride. He's coming back for a bride that does not have spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a bride that's going to be full of glory. In other words, he's coming back for his church because she's attractive. He's coming back for an attractive church. So we get this sense even out of Proverbs 31. It's used metaphorically in a sense that that it talks about how the virtuous woman is, and it talks about her husband. It says, he is well spoken of at the city gates with the elders because of what she does. And how she handles herself. In other words, Jesus is well spoken of by how the church handles itself. People can magnify Jesus by looking at the church. She handles this. If you read Proverbs 31, you find out that she handles, she's the church. She handles her business. She handles her house. She handles her investments. She has wisdom. She has strength. She has honor. She has the law of kindness in her speech. She refuses to eat bread with idle people. Her clothing is fine linens. She does does good and not evil, the Bible says in Proverbs 31, all the days of her life. It gives us this picture that this woman, this church, this bride has it all together. In other words, she's walking in the fullness of the power of the restoration of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on Calvary 2,000 years ago. So we are without excuse. Amen? Amen. So, so, so as Christians, I'm going to preach in a minute. Just work with me. As Christians, our primary role is that we would not only reflect God's glory in the earth, but that we would reproduce ourselves in the earth because the church should be attractive. Hmm. When people look at you, they ought to be drawn to Jesus. The church should be fruitful, unashamed, and productive. So in our text today, the word of the Lord, if I can use it in this metaphorical sense, the word of the Lord comes to the church with no evidence in the natural to give validation to what God is saying. This prophecy speaks to us about the power of a word when spoken in a place of disappointment. Yeah. 
Because God can shift things overnight. God can turn things around overnight. I don't know who that's for right there, but I felt that this morning when I was working on my notes. God wants to turn some things around in your life overnight. The power of the enemy can be broken off of your life overnight. God can shift things in a moment. It's the power of a spoken word when living in a place of disappointment. In other words, you don't have to stay in disappointment. You don't have to stay defeated. You don't have to stay discouraged because God has a word for your moment. God has a word for the seasons that you're in in your life right now. So he said it can shift in a moment. Look with me in Isaiah 43. I got a bunch of scriptures for you, so just work with me for a moment. Isaiah 43, verse number 13, I think. Let me see if I can find it. Verse number 13. Yeah. Even from eternity, I am he, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. This is the Lord talking. I act, and who can reverse it? When God gets ready to move, can't no devil, no demon, no doctrine stopping. Can't no man, system, or situation block the power of God over your life. He says, when I act... Who can reverse it? In other words, there's nothing created under the heavens that can oppose me. This is what God is saying. Because when I begin to move, there's nothing created, there's nothing in the natural order or the spiritual order that God cannot override. And this passage of Scripture is literally talking about when Israel was bound up in Egypt and how God broke the oppressor off of them from Egypt, and he's reminding them while they're in Babylon, if I broke the back of the oppressor off of you in Egypt, don't you think that I can do it in Babylon too? In other words, you're in this season of disappointment, but you're about to get your song back. You're in this season of disappointment, but life is about to appear because when God begins to move, can't no devil stop it. Look what he says in verse number 18. Do not call to mind the former things. Ooh, I feel like preaching right there. Or ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new, and now it will spring forth. In other words, it's a shift in time. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said it will spring forth. It's just a, a, a sudden, a, I started to call it a season of suddenlies. When, when things begin to shift over your life for no apparent reason, but God has spoken over your life. God has a word over your life. And when the enemy comes and he tries to snatch the word away from you, you have to know that that word is more powerful than the evidence of the situation that you're facing right now. Because God's word cannot be disputed. See, in what looked like to be an impossible situation, they were barren. God said, I'm about to shift it. Even though there's no no natural evidence to validate it, God said, I'm going to shift it. Watch this. Look with me in Isaiah 46. Got got you working in your Bibles today, don't I? Isaiah 46, verse number 9. Remember the former things long past. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the, from the beginning, 
from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Would you just look at somebody and tell them God's not finished with you yet? He's going to accomplish his purpose. He's going to accomplish his will. He's going to accomplish his design over your life. God's plans cannot be frustrated. God's plans cannot be thwarted. Whatever God has said about you, he's able to do. My Lord, I wish I had some Holy Ghost help up in here. Whatever God has promised you, he's faithful enough to complete it in you. It doesn't matter what it looks like right now. That is temporary. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter what it feels like right now. That is temporary. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now. It's temporary. God is not finished with the product. He says, I know the end from the beginning. So that means long before God ever started it, he'd already finished it. Long before you needed a, 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 an answer for the problem, God had already provided the answer. Because he starts from the end back to the beginning. So the fact that God started something is the evidence that he's already finished it. Oh, my Lord. Hallelujah. So I'm trying to tell you that there's this shift in time. Something is shifting. And I prophetically want to say it over our nation. Something is shifting. I want to say it over our region, our territories, and our city. Something is shifting. I'm telling you, the powers of hell are breaking. The demonic strongholds are being loosened up. The, the, the reason why there's such contention in the atmosphere and such problematic situations all the time is because hell is on its last stand. It's trying everything it can to stop the movement of God. But God said in his word, my purpose will stand forever. So there's nothing that the enemy can do to stop the movement of God in the earth. And if that's true of what he said in Isaiah's day, it's got to be true in our day. I'm just trying to tell you there's a shift. Look with me in Isaiah 61. One more scripture real quick. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, I think, somewhere. Verse number 7. Instead of your shame, you'll have double. <laughs> the word for shame is the word disappointment. Instead of your disappointment, you're going to have double. Instead of humiliation, there will be a shout for joy over their portion, and they will possess a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. Oh, I wish you to notify your face that you can have the joy of the Lord. Huh? Instead of your shame, you're going to have double. How many are ready for a double move of God, a double outpouring of God's spirit? I'm telling you, God's not finished with this thing. And, and he said, instead of your disappointment, instead of the season that you find yourself struggling in, God said, in that season, I'm going to give you double. Whew. Hallelujah. In that season where all this disappointment and these setbacks have rushed in on you, God said, if you'll just hold out to the end, if you'll just keep pressing in, I'm going to give you double in your land. I like the way Job put it. He gave me double for all my trouble. God's going to give you double. I like to say it this way. He'll give you triple for all your ripples. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh oh, y'all can't laugh in his church. I don't know what's going on with y'all. Come on, look at somebody and say, you got to have some joy up in here. He said, you're going to sing again. You're going to shout again. You're going to declare the wonderful works of God. Hallelujah. 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 Because God is not finished with what he started. Psalms 119.89 says, the word of the Lord is forever settled in heaven. Here's where we make the turn. But somebody has to settle the word in the earth. The word of the Lord is forever settled in heaven, but somebody has to settle it in the earth. And we settle the word of God in the earth with the agreement of God. We stay in agreement with what God has said. Sing, O barren one. Don't feel like it. Don't matter. Sing anyway. Because the children of the barren woman will be more numerous than the children of the married woman. It don't look like it. It don't make sense. I don't feel like it. It don't matter. It don't matter. I'm not, I'm not speaking to your feelings. I'm talking to your spirit. I'm not speaking to the way you look at things. I'm talking to your spirit, man, that drives you into a place of victory. Sing in the midst of captivity. Sing in the midst of disappointment. Sing in the midst of a failed season. Open up your mouth. Lift up your eyes to the hills which cometh your strength and declare the wondrous works of God. I may not look like the way I'm singing right now, but I'm going to sing my way until the power of God begins to manifest over my life. That's why he says you open up your mouth and you begin to sing because this prophecy speaks to us about the power of a word when it gets spoken into a disappointing season. Luke 8, 11, Jesus said the, 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 the word of God is seed. The word of God, my words are seed. Inside of every seed is the potential of a harvest. So when we speak his word, when we take that seed, and we plant it into a barren place, it can produce a harvest because its own life-giving power is in the seed. Has nothing to do with the environment. Because the seed can affect the environment. In other words, when you plant that seed, when you speak the word of God, and you plant it into the atmosphere of disappointment, when you plant it into the season of failed opportunities, when you speak that word and you put it into the arena of your life, into the atmosphere of your dwelling, when you speak that word, inside that word is the potential of, of, of its own will and purpose to manifest what it was created to do. Mm, mm -mm. Jo Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So inside of every seed, it doesn't matter if it's barren. doesn't matter if there's no fruit. doesn't matter if there's nothing happening. When you speak that word, it changes it. So here it is. Here it is. A little bit of teaching. My question becomes this. How do you hang on to a word and release faith with such great disappointment? How do you do that? That's my question. Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Okay, go with me to Jeremiah. 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 Is this all right? I'm working it. I'm working it. Just hang out with me. Jeremiah chapter 17. 
Verse number five. And thus saith the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes. He will live in stony places or wasted, stony waste, waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Verse number seven. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And those who trust in the Lord will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat, same word for adversity, will not fear when adversity comes, but its leaves will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought or lack, deficiency, nor cease to yield fruit. Notice, cursed is the man who trusts in the arm of the flesh. We live in a world that says you got to trust people. God says you need to trust me. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Now watch this. Going to make a turn right here. Not only does your faith need to be developed, but you have to develop your trust. Faith, Hebrews 11.1, faith is the assurance. It's the substance of things hoped for. And it's the evidence of things that are not yet seen. Faith is our confidence. Watch this. But trust is your commitment. Faith is about your confidence, but trust is about your commitment. It's not enough to have faith in what I believe. Because there are things that come to shipwreck my faith, and it can cause me to lose my confidence. You remember in Luke chapter 22, when Jesus looked at Peter and he says, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. It's not that you wouldn't go through anything, but Jesus said, I'm praying for you that your faith would not fail, indicating that it's possible for your faith to fail. I'm praying for you, Peter, not that you wouldn't go through anything, but that your faith would not become shipwrecked. So it's possible to lose confidence. It's possible to have your faith shipwrecked. But Jesus said, I prayed for you, Peter, not that you wouldn't experience nothing, but that your faith would remain strong. Because when you turn, not if you turn, but the fact that I'm praying for you, I know you're going to turn. And when you turn, strengthen your other brothers. But you can lose it. You can lose your confidence. Remember in, in, in uh, Luke 8, when, when Jesus told the disciples, get into the boat and go to the other side, and there, there came a storm. And at the end of the storm, they woke, or during the storm, they wake him up. They said, teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus wakes up and says, where is your faith? Because your faith can lose its confidence. This will be on the screen for you. Faith believes that God can do it. But trust says, even if he doesn't, do it. My position remains the same. Oh, my Lord, that'll make you throw a baby right there. Faith says, I believe he can do it. But even if he doesn't, my position in God remains the same. 
In other words, I'm not moving off what I believe. I, I, I may go through all kinds of adversity. I may have to deal with all kinds of situations. And my seasons may not always be pleasant. But my faith is going to stay intact because my trust is intact. My commitment to the things of God is intact. See, see, faith has the confidence. Watch me now. Just track with me. A little bit of teaching here. Faith has the confidence that God is a healer. Faith has the confidence that God can deliver. Faith has the confidence that he's a way maker. He's a need provider. But trust says my commitment is not based on what happens or what doesn't happen. My trust is based on the God that I serve. So it, it's not about God answering my prayers or not answering my prayers. I trust God in every season of my life. And if I'm fall and I'm if I'm in a season where it's a place of disappointment and nothing seems to be working, I trust that the hand of the Lord is still on my life. And just like Job said, and he knows the way I take. And when I have come through it, I'm going to come through it like gold because God is still at work in me. And I trust his leading. I trust his direction. This will mess with you a little bit if you don't pay attention to it because it's not a name it and claim it. It's not a grab it and, uh, uh, you know, grab it. Yeah. Blab it and grab it. Thank you, Audi. Blab it and grab it. I, I got, I'm dyslexia. I just got them across. That's all. But, but, it's, but it's, 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 it's not about some futuristic hope thing that I just hope it happens. I cross my fingers. No, my trust in God is deeper than the outcome of my life because I trust in what he's doing in my life. And it may not look good, but he knows the way I take. In fact, Job said it this way. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Oh, my Lord. I wish somebody just understood what I just said right there. That means I can be in the most dire situation of my life, but I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved by what I believe. And my faith is anchored in something that's beyond my eyes. My faith is anchored because my commitment is still intact. And I trust the ways of God. I trust him in every area of my life. I don't just have to trust him when I'm on the mountains. In fact, the Syrians found out that he's not just the God of the mountain, but he's still the God of the valleys. So when I'm in my low places, he's still God. When I can't make sense of anything, he's still God. And he's still working his plan out in my life. Because his counsel and his will will endure forever. God is at work. I like to say it this way, it's my trust that keeps me anchored so my faith can work. I said it to you before, it'll be on the screen. Faith will make you fight. We fight the good fight of faith, but trust will let you worship. Faith will make you fight, but trust will cause you to worship. Because how many know you've been in situations when you can't make sense of it? It's not that your faith ain't intact, but sometimes your faith gets shaken. Mm -hmm. I debated about if I should share this or not with you, but I think I should, just to let you know. A couple of months ago, Karen was diagnosed with cancer. We got the verdict that she's got cancer, and, and it just it's like came out of the blue. Didn't see it coming. It's just, bam, it hits us. 
That'll shake your faith. That'll shake your faith. It shook us. But this is what we did. I'm not saying this is everybody. This is what we did. We looked at each other. We prayed. We agreed that if we have to walk through it, even though our faith was shaken, we still trust God. Yeah? And she's scheduled for surgery tomorrow. She's got to have some radical surgery. It's, it's really invasive. It's, it's really bad. But our faith went through this season. This is a couple of months ago. A couple of months, And none of y'all never knew it until we announced it. Because in my way of looking at it, I'm not going to give the devil any glory. Because God don't put sickness on you to teach you a lesson. Sickness and disease is of the work of the devil. And so we, we, just, we, just, we just began to work on it in our own personal life. And we just said, God, it's a diagnosis, but it's not a verdict. Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you how the enemy keeps working. While we were, uh, well, we got back from Tennessee. She had a doctor's appointment uh, on Friday. We got back Thursday night. She had a doctor's appointment on Friday. And the doctor, she's at one doctor. Another doctor calls her and says, it's metastasized. It's, it's spreading. It's like, uh, the devil going to play now. You're going you gonna to throw that out there? <sighs> come on. Come on. Look at somebody. Look at somebody and say, you got to have some trust. You got to have some trust. It's got to go deeper than what your verdict is, your report is. And so, so here we are. We're, we're in the battle. We're in the battle. I'm just being honest with you. We are in the battle for our life. We are in the throes of it. But you know what? My trust is deep. Her trust is deep. And we're letting the devil know, if that's your best shot, you better throw it all you got. Because we're going to extract every moment of this trial for the glory of God. We're going to make the devil see that you meant it for harm. But look what the Lord has done. God will turn it around. And we're going to make the devil sit there and watch every moment of our praise. Every moment of our thanksgiving. Because we trust in the name that's above every other name. I wish you'd shout out one time, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You got to get to the place. You got to get to the place where you're not moved by the work of the enemy. And, I, and Karen and I were talking about this the other day. See, when you're in a moment that you can't define, when you're in a moment that makes no sense, you got to learn how to extract the goodness of God in that moment. And we looked at each other the other day. We'll never have another moment like this to give God praise. There'll never be another day like this to give God praise. And I refuse to let the enemy stand up and say, look what I'm doing when I can say, look what the Lord is about to do sing oh barren one because God is not finished glory to God glory to God glory to God Whoo! I feel the Holy Ghost I'm telling you just get to the place and we had to do it in this church when we didn't have money to do nothing. We just kept declaring the word of the Lord. God, you said this about this property. God, you said this about this property. We were, we were doing things when there wasn't enough people or money to do anything. But God was going to be a covenant keeping God. And he held fast to his word. We're doing things now that don't make sense. 
We, we, we got multi-million dollar projects on the table right now. Somebody asked me today, you got the money? I go, no. <laughs> but we still got a vision. And God will provide for the vision. I'm not worried about the money. The money will come when we need it. Yeah. Because I trust him. I trust him above everything. Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He didn't stumble in there. God led him in there. God led him into an attack. God led him into adversity. God led him into a trial. Not so that he could punish Jesus, but so that Jesus could punish the devil. See, if you're going through something right now, you say, man, this is a big old trial. This is a lot of adversity. You just need to say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you because you're leading me into this because I'm going going to punish the devil. Because the Bible says when Jesus came out of the wilderness, he came out in power. And the devil backed off. The devil let go. The devil had to move back. I'm trying to tell you, when you understand that you can trust God in every situation, the devil says, "Uh uh-uh, I can't mess with that one no more. I can't deal with that situation no more. And he backs off. For a season. Well, the Bible says a more opportune time. But your faith can fail. That's why your trust has to say, I believe God in the midst of it. So when God looks at the children of Israel in captivity, in the place of barrenness, no fruit. No fruit coming out. They're in a place of shame and lack and disappointment. And God speaks to them, not about the moment, but about their future. And he says, I want you to sing for joy. One translation says, shout unto the Lord. I want you to open up your mouth and don't give the devil no credit in this moment. Because what you declare is what you get. Yeah? Faith will cause you to fight, but trust will cause you to worship. John the Baptist found himself in a faith crisis. He preached for six months before the arrival of Jesus. And when he saw him coming up over that Judean hill, when he saw him coming, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. John said, He's the one. Follow him. But then John finds himself in prison for over a year. And he has a crisis in his faith. And he sends his disciples out to ask, Are you the one? Six months prior to that, he said, he's the one. Follow him. But he finds himself in captivity. He finds himself in limitations. He finds himself in boundaries. And, he's, and, and his faith is shaken to the point that he says to his disciples, go find out if he's the one. 
And you know what Jesus does? Well, I love it. It's classic. Jesus says, you go tell John, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the sick are being healed. But what he didn't say, but what he said, but tell John, John, deal with it because I'm not coming after you. And John finds himself in a moment where my faith is shaking, but do I trust him? I just lost all my amens. Because everybody wants the good out turn, out time. But I'm just trying to tell you, sometimes God takes you through moments. And it's not about your happiness. It's not about you being happy. It's about you fulfilling the will of God for your life. It's about you walking in obedience to the will of God over your life. And you have to be content that if this is the way God takes me, then I have to be content with the way that he's allowed me to go. No matter what, I'm going to help somebody right here. No matter what you study in your head, sooner or later, life is going to throw you something that your head cannot figure out. This will be on the screen for you. And many times, a person's maturity is determined by the mysteries they're able to live with rather than the things they're not able to figure out. Can I just say it in love and kindness? God don't owe nobody an explanation for nothing. He don't owe you an explanation. As children of God, we're obedient to him. He don't have to tell you everything. He don't have to show you everything. I'm telling you, this generation better watch it because we think we're living in this, this, this cuddle world here where, where everybody, everybody loves everybody. Nobody wants to be offended. Nobody wants to offend nobody. But I'm tell you, the gospel comes and it brings an offense. The gospel divides. And, and you got to be careful that, 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 that you don't get into all this name it, claim it stuff. But you begin to trust God in the season that you're in. Because if I can trust God, it gives my faith something to anchor to. It's not that God can't turn it. It's not that God won't turn it. But I'm just trying to tell you, John, what if he don't turn it? Can you still trust him in your prison? Can you still stay faithful in the midst of your prison? When you really trust God, then faith has something to anchor to. And even though it hurts, you live with the mysteries. Knowing the nature and the character of God is this. He's good. And he's good all the time. There's never not a time in God's life when he's not good. Even in his judgment, he's good. Even in his justice, he's good. Amen? And I would rather live in the mysteries of not understanding than live with a mentality that doesn't trust God because I can't trace him. I'd rather live in the unexplainable and not back up on my faith because I trust him. Some of you are in that battle today. Your faith has been shaken by your moments. Your faith has been shaken by your circumstances. Your faith has been shaken. It's been been put on display, and it's been shaken. The, the, The Christian world in America, its faith got shaken during the elections, like God is controlled by elections. I just lost all my amens. And I don't care what party you're for. I'm not talking about that. I'm just, I'm, just talking, I'm just talking about we don't put our trust in parties. 
And it does help when you vote the right people, people that fear God. It does help. It makes a difference. That's the government we want to live under. We, want to, we don't want to live under the government we're living under right now. It's a jacked up regime. That's what it is. We don't want to keep living under things like that. But I'll tell you, at the end of the day, God will use that to turn it around for his good for his people. Just said something right there, but I ain't going to yeah. preach on politics. See, our commitment keeps us from being moved. When we trust, we're committed to what we believe in spite of what we see. I'm barren, but I trust him. Psalms 125, this will be on the screen, says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Those who trust in him cannot be moved. They're like Mount Zion. It cannot be moved. It abides forever. Let me show you one scripture real quick. Y'all got time for one more scripture? Look with me and Daniel, and I'm going to let you go. I don't want to keep you all day. Look with me and Daniel, if I can find it real quick. I think I said Daniel. I think that's what I wrote down. Yeah, Daniel. Y'all remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember, remember when um, Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, I'm going to create this golden image, and I want everybody to bow down and worship it. Well, you got these three young guys who said, you know what, we're not going to bow down. We just don't feel it. <laughs> I just don't feel like worshiping graven images. I just don't want to worship false gods. Come on, America. Come on, we worship sports. We worship money. We worship entertainment. Sometimes you just got to get to the place where you don't worship false gods. And, and look with me in verse number 15, if I could just pick the story up. And Nebuchadnezzar makes all these predictions. And he says, now, if you're ready at the sound of the music going on down, he says, fall down and worship the image that I've made. He said, very well. But if you do not worship, you will be immediately cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Mm-hmm. I don't know how you mess with the devil, but when the devil says, if God can do it, that just makes me want to buckle down a little tighter. Can God really do that? Oh, boy, you need to know what God can really do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I love their response even as teenagers. They replied to the king, oh, Neb, we, not need, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Watch this. He's, he's telling them, if you don't bow down, your days are numbered. Your life is over. If you don't worship the image, you're done. And they said, oh, king, we don't even have to give you an answer concerning this. Look what he said. Here's faith talk. Are you ready? Somebody say faith, faith. and trust. There's a difference. Here's their faith talk, verse number 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fire, furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's faith talk. Our God is able. But here comes trust, verse number 18. But even if he does not, you see it? Our God is able to deliver us. That's faith. But even if he does not, 
Let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Because we trust God in the middle of it. My faith can be shaken. I can declare things in faith. But trust will cause me to worship God in the fire. Worship, my trust will cause me to magnify the Lord. Even if he don't deliver me, I may go through the fire, but I'm going to go through the fire trusting God every step of the way. It's a big difference. So in our text, Isaiah begins to prophesy to them that there's about to be this breakthrough, this breakout, and their shame and disappointment is about to be broken off of their life. And he says these words, and it's very, very meaningful. He says, spare not. In other words, go into this thing and don't hold anything back. I'm trying to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in this life that we're living right now, in this century, this this movement of God, what God is trying to do, you cannot hold nothing back. The devil is playing for keeps. You can you can just you can play the little religious games if you, if you want to, but that's not going to bring you any kind of restoration. The devil is playing for keeps, and he says he says when he says I'm going to give you a word, and I want you to sing in the place of your limitations. I want you to sing in the place of your borders so that you can be enlarged. And God was going to extend their borders. And God was going to remove their restrictions where there would be no more limitations. But they had to move first. They had to open up their mouth first. Don't let the enemy get the upper hand with your silence. Don't speak what he's saying. Speak what God has already declared. I want to show you this. Three things real quick. I'm not going to preach them. I'm going to give them to you. Three three essential ingredients to release a radical shift. Number one, risk. Risk. He said, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Here's the principle. You can't be enlarged unless you're willing to be stretched. That means believing God beyond your comfort zone and your familiar patterns. You got to be willing to be stretched. The word for the nation, the word for the church was prepare for increase. Watch this now. By bringing stewardship to unplowed territory as though you already have it. Even though there's disappointment, prepare for it. Woo. Prepare for your deliverance. Prepare for your breakthrough. And here's the question that I like to ask. Can you operate in faith and cultivate vision at a place of failure? Can you still cultivate vision in your places of disappointment? Can you give voice to a word in your times of disappointment? Can you declare that he is worthy to be praised when nothing in your world makes sense? Even though they were living in disappointment. Here it is. You have to give yourself permission to try again and trust God in the process. In other words, go where you haven't produced and take on more responsibility until you see what I promised. I know you failed in this field, but I'm going to make your field bigger. Oh, my Lord. I'm trying to help somebody. You, feel, you may feel like you're living in a place of disappointment. And here's the word of the Lord. He says, don't live in your disappointment. Make your field bigger. Sing in the midst of your barrenness. Prepare for increase. 
I know you failed, but make your field bigger. This will be on the screen. The adjustments that need to be made is in our willingness to obey with our pain and failure. That's the adjustments that need to be made. You've got to obey God even in the midst of your pain and failure. Isaiah 1.19 says, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. Yeah? Remember when, when, when Peter had fished all night, Luke chapter 5? Remember he fished all night and he caught nothing? He comes up to the shore. He's cleaning empty nets. And Jesus said, hey, launch out into the deep. Peter said, you don't understand, carpenter. <laughs> you don't understand. I'm a fisherman. You build cabinets. Stick to what you know. We fished all night and we caught nothing. Jesus said, it don't matter. Take your disappointment and go out into the deep. Can you obey in the midst of your disappointment? Can you obey in the midst of your pain? Can you launch out into known disappointment? They fished all night and caught nothing and they're cleaning empty nets. Can you launch back out with a word from God? In other words, Jesus would say, hey, Peter, I know, but I want you to take the same boats, take the same nets, get the same guys, and go right back into the same lake that you just failed in, go right back into the same place where it didn't turn out for you, and I want you to let down your nets for a catch that's going to blow your mind. I want you to let down your nets for a harvest that's going to blow your mind. I'm trying to tell you, if you can obey God in your disappointment and launch back out and trust God one more time and just throw your nets, he's going to give you a net breaking harvest that your life has never seen before. Come on, if you believe that, shout yes. Come on, if you believe it, shout yes. Don't miss the shift. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's radical. It's radical. Familiar places. Launch back out. Let me give you this one more real quick. Uh, number two. But we're talking about risk there, but in other words, you got to risk it all. Let me give you number two because we're running out of time. Relationships. Relationships. Number two is relationships. Essential ingredients to a radical shift is relationships. He said, lengthen your cords. Cords in Scripture speak about relationships. Ephesians 4.12 says, two are better than one, and a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. Lengthening your cords means building and strengthening your relationships. I want to say that this is the point that I felt like I had to really push in on today because if we're not careful, we will have superficial relationships. Watch this. Stop resisting people that God has assigned to your life to better your life. You have to cultivate, watch me now, you have to cultivate the relationships that God has assigned to you. And just because you don't like it don't mean God didn't put them there. (laughs) You have to cultivate those relationships To the point that God matures you through those relationships, whether they be positive or negative. Saul hunted David down for years trying to kill him. Tried to kill him on 16 different times. And David refused to retaliate because God put a Saul in David's life so David wouldn't become a Saul. Some of the things that are going on in your life, and you say, well, it's just all these crazy people around me. No, it's that God has put people in your life to better your life, and it shows you what you don't need to be. 
And there are some relationships that God put in your life that you need to extract from, you need to draw from, and you need to stop resisting what God has placed in your life to help form your life. Hallelujah. You have to cultivate the right relationships that are assigned to you. And sometimes that doesn't mean that they adjust. That means you adjust. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. In other words, you have to know your company. That's what Acts chapter 4 talks about. It says you got to know your company. When Peter and John were threatened, the Bible says they went back to their company. They found the place where they could be celebrated. Watch this, because at the end of the day, you just can't run with everybody. Because not everybody's for you. This will be on the screen. Make sure you don't have people in your life that's profiting from your pain. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting right now. That should have been a baby toss right there. Who's got a baby? Toss it up. We'll catch it. Should have been a baby toss or a chair toss or something. Oh, hallelujah. Who do you have in your life right now that's comfortable with your pain? Who do you have in your life right now that's comfortable with your condition? And sometimes we foster wrong relationships in our lives because we're kin to them. Instead of speaking truth, we facilitate. And it's not that we don't love. Don't misunderstand me. We love. We love all the way through it. But I don't work. I, I, I don't put up with your drama. I don't put up with your craziness. I don't put up with your jacked up self. I don't think the whole world's mad. I don't think everybody's after you. And, and you, you got to work those relationships. Watch this. Because it's twofold. God puts good relationships in your life to extract good things out of your life. And God allows you to walk through turmoil relationships to extract good things out of you. And you got to discern. Praise the Lord. Don't keep people in your life that's profiting from your pain. Some people will never be able to celebrate you because they have an invested interest in your failure. And I say that out of total experience. Total. It's like we we were talking the other day. I heard a a situation from one of our members in here just during the election thing, just trying to pass out stuff to our school. Couldn't do it. Every other school got it. Why can't we get it? Because they got an invested, they got an investment in your failure. And people are always going to look at you differently because you're not going to go to status quo. I didn't sign up for this to be safe. I signed up for this to be distinct so that the world could have something to look at. And, and you say, well, I just, I just I want everybody to like me. Listen, they crucified Jesus because he was hated. <laughs> and get this, it wasn't even the sinners that crucified him. It was the religious bunch. The people that should have been fighting for him was fighting against him. It was a friend to the sinners and an enemy to the religious. I feel that sometimes. Like, people in the world love me. The church hates me. I don't know what's going on. Do your best to love people. And it's like, man, I'm, we, we do all this for you and you're still going to retire? Are you crazy? Have you lost your dang mind? I know that's just me. I'm just bending. 
Watch this. The way you see yourself will determine how long you let wrong relationships torment you. I don't know about you, but I don't have enough mileage left to tolerate toxic people. Huh? I can love them, but I ain't got to tolerate them. I know we live in a society where you got to tolerate everything. Nah, eh, wrong. If it's ugly, it's ugly. Call a spade a spade. If it's sin, it's sin. If it's dark, it's dark. Because people, people in your life will either add value or they will devalue you. Let me just give you a little bit more right here and then we're going to quit. Pastor Porter, you guys can come on. Wrong people will never leave your life voluntarily. You have to be intentional about the company you keep. Got to be intentional. We'll let the worship team go so y'all can be, quit being distracted for a moment. Somebody do this every week. Whoop, bump, bump, there we go. Wrong people. Wrong people. You have to be discerning and intentional about the company you keep. I want to say this to every teenager. Be careful who you hang out with. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. You can't run with everybody. Well, they're popular. Don't matter. You can love them. You can be friends to them, but don't mean you got to run with them. All the adults ought to be saying amen right now for the teenager. Help the teenagers out. Let me give you this one more, one more real quick. Many times God would rather you deal with the pain of their absence instead of the consequences of their presence. Because I do this. My joy level is not for sale. And I'm going to protect my peace. I'm going to protect my peace. And people can, 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 can view that and misinterpret that however they want to. I'm just going to protect my peace. Because my joy level means more to me than them being comfortable with my pain. Amen. If your inner circle of friends don't inspire you, you don't have a circle. You got a cage. I clap for myself. I brought my own amens. I got one in here somewhere. Amen. Preach it, preacher. I refuse to live in somebody else's cage. If you want to live mad and miserable and upset, do it. Whatever you want to do. But just know that that ain't going to affect my world. It ain't going to affect my world. Uh-uh. Life is too sweet to me. Life is too precious to me. And my joy costs me way too much for you to put your consequences over into my life and make me secure about your pain. Woo. He said, you got to work on your relationship. Lengthen the cords. Work on your relationships. Work on those relationships in your life. And then the last one, number three, and I'll just let this one go. We won't preach it. Number three is righteousness. He said, strengthen your pegs. Pegs and stakes speak to us about our foundations. Talks to us about our anchors. Things that securely provide security and stability for our lives. 
Psalms 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That means the further God expands us, the deeper we have to go. Now, I'm going to sound real old-fashioned for the next two minutes, but I still believe in holiness. I still believe in holiness. The Bible says, and I can prove it to you, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.15, he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. You see that? Be holy, for I am holy. That's what the Lord said. Ephesians 1.4 says, just that he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I'm a little old-fashioned, but I believe in holiness. I believe we ought to conduct ourselves in a manner that's fitting to worship him. That means I, that, I know everybody's on the journey. I get that. I'm not, I, I don't get hung up with people's journey as long as you're moving forward. I get all that. It, it don't matter if you got drunk last night. If you're in here today, we're moving somewhere. We're moving somewhere. It, it, don't, it don't matter if you partied all night. Not, it don't matter. That, not, that's just immaterial. That, that, whatever. You are moving your life forward. It don't matter if you can't stop cussing. Just keep moving forward. Huh? It, it don't matter if you're, well, I like to get a little tipsy every now. Well, just keep moving forward. I believe God will break that out of your life. But there comes a point in time in your life when you get saved, when you get born again, when you get filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. There are things in your life that can't make the journey. There are things in your life that you have to put aside. And sooner or later, you can't just keep going back to an old nature. You can't just keep living back to an old faulty foundation. You've been transferred out of the domain of darkness and into its marvelous life so you conduct yourself in a way that's holy and fitting unto the Lord I know that sounds old fashioned but we live in a jacked up society where we think that Christians can sin at will and they call it grace I'm trying to tell you grace don't empower you to sin grace empowers you not to sin when I understand the love of God in my life, I, I, I want to serve Him more than I want to serve people. I want to please Him more than I want to please people. And I know it's a little old-fashioned, and I, and I get a little kickback on that, but I, don't, I ain't worried about it. Because when I stand before a holy God, He's not going to say, well, did you make them feel good or did you preach the truth? I just want to say, Lord, I gave them everything I got. I said it like you said it. I preached the Bible. I preached the Word of God. If you walk out and be offended, just be offended with God. It don't matter to me. But at the end of the day, you have to work on righteousness. Be holy. In all your conduct. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Because God's trying to bring increase. He's bringing a shift. It's radical. And, and, and what God is doing in this hour, in this hour, especially in our nation, in this hour, he's bringing distinction to the church. The wheat and the chaff are growing up in the same field. The wheat and the tares are growing up in the same field. But when you throw it up, the chaff is being separated. And there's a distinction. Look at your neighbor and say, there's a distinction. All right, come on, stand to your feet. We've got to quit. It's 12 o'clock. Hallelujah. I did it. Praise the Lord, I did it. I did all my points. I did all my points. I did it. I did it. That deserves a hallelujah. I did all my points. I did them all. Don't come back next week. I got all the points done this week. <laughs> Hallelujah. Man, I feel this thing today because prophetically God is saying, 
if I could just say it in a way that I just felt like going down I-75, Karen driving at 110 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was 108. God spoke to my heart. And he said, it's radical. And a radical shift demands, demands radical obedience. There are things in my life, I'm working through all these in my own life. I'm I'm, I'm being stretched out of my comfort zone. I was asked to preach at this pastor's thing and they changed the schedule on me three times. Preach on this, preach on this. I'm like, good God, that takes me a month just to get one word. And, you're, and I'm being stretched. I'm being stretched in my relationships. Because I have to love the unlovely. But not let their toxicity get inside of me. I have to love those who don't like me. I have to love people that are against this vision. And there's a whole city full of folks like that. They love nothing more than to let the devil shut this thing down. But God. I'm being stretched. I'm being challenged in my relationships. And more importantly, I'm being challenged in my righteousness. Because I want to please him. And I want my life to be different. I don't want it to be the status quo. And I want to walk in a way that's honorable to him. Not that I'm perfect. I'm far from it. But there's this movement to go deeper in him. Because the closer I get to him, the less he lets me get away with. I don't want to be superficial. I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. That word know him, I want to know him in an intimate way. I want to know what makes him him. I want to know what makes him tick. I want to know what makes him move. I want to know him. I don't want to just know him in the power of his resurrection. I don't want to just know him in the power gifts. I want to know him in an intimate way so that when he says, adjust this or turn here, I obey even if it's in my pain. Because I want to walk with him. Come on, lift your hands all over this building. I believe the Spirit of God. Man, I feel this. Spirit of God. Right there in your own way where you just say, God, I I yield, I surrender. Everything in my life, I yield it to you today. God, if you're going to shift things, shift it in my life. God, if you're going to bring increase, bring it in my life. Come on, make that your prayer. 30 seconds. Just make that your prayer. Say, God, I surrender. I yield. I throw it all in. I'm throwing it all in. I'm making making this all about you. For the next 28 seconds, I'm going to make it all about you right here. My hands, my heart is yielded to the things of God. 
nothing less, nothing more. Total surrender. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to give it all. I'm going to give it all. I'm going to give it all right here. Come on, 15 more seconds of your undivided attention on him. Can you give it to him? Come on, can you give it to him? Can you just lift your voice in concert and unity and just say, God, here I am. Here I am. Lord, here I am. Lord, I throw it all in. I throw it all in. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Come on, I feel that pressure. I feel that pressure to give in and to let go, but I feel breakthrough. I feel breakthrough. The enemy would make you look at your surroundings, but I feel breakthrough. I feel breakthrough over the atmosphere of your life. In the name of Jesus.